At the height of Israel's power, the people dramatically collapse. The grandeur of King Solomon's kingdom is undone quickly as a result of idolatrous compromises. A nation splits, a people rebel, and prophets call for repentance. It's time to go the second mile and learning about the rise and fall of the kingdom. Hey, this is Travis Sagney. Thank you for joining me for the Second Mile Podcast, where we seek to live out the words of Jesus from Matthew 5.41, where he says, if anyone uh, forces you to go one mile, go the second mile. So we are actually taking 15 weeks here on this podcast to do just that in the grand narrative of the scripture. We are taking 15 weeks to walk through um, the big picture story of the Bible so that when you're opening up to different sections, you kind of know where the storyline is. And so there's a 100-day Bible reading plan that I have available on my website at Travis travisagnew.org that you can check out. And uh, today, as we're going through this, we're actually at week six of the 15 weeks talking about the kingdom. And uh, so just to catch you up to speed really quick, week one was about the beginning. God created all things. All things were made by him and for him and for his glory. And we messed things up, but God did not give up. Eventually calling on uh, one man named Abraham and said that someone from his family would come and change everything uh, and, and fix everything that's been broken up to this point. Throughout all that, we get to week three of the Exodus, where God's people are now in the uh, most powerful nation in the world, but that God is going to show and with a mighty hand how he can rescue them and redeem them out of slavery. Week four was about the excursion, and as they walked through the wilderness on their way to the promised land and showing the, the dangerous compromises along the way, week five, we talked about the king, about the king that they wanted in King Saul, but the king that they needed in King David. But even that, ultimately, for all the good that David did, there was uh, much frailty in his life. But that brings us to week six of the kingdom. So David uh, and all of his sin and all of his issues um, did uh, have a son that the kingdom would be given to. His name was King Solomon. And there's many things that you probably know about King Solomon. He was wise. He was rich. He was powerful, wrote some books, did some things. And then also you have this kind of complex nature with Solomon because you go, yeah, isn't that the guy who also had a whole lot of like wives and concubines? Like, how can that guy be the wisest guy? Uh, how can this guy? And, and, and what you see is the complexity of, honestly, any character, the best characters that you're going to find in the Bible um, leading us up to Jesus is that for all of the brilliance, for all of the accomplishments, for all of the potential that they have, they are still fallen, sinful people in need of a Savior. So let's look at this kingdom and what caused the rise and the fall to happen so quickly. So let's go as we are looking at week six of the word, the grand narrative of the scripture. Let's talk about King Solomon. So King Solomon obviously had a living, breathing, uh, just encyclopedia of examples of what to do and not to do in his father, David. In fact, um, Solomon's mother was a woman named Bathsheba. And it, yeah, that Bathsheba, exactly. And so there's, there's so much complexity about his story, but 
He talked about the um, the strong or the, the the difficult shoes of which Solomon had to walk into. So when he is appointed as king, and right before David dies, he looks at his son in First Kings chapter two and says, "Hey, I want you to to be a man. I want you to follow after the Lord. I want you to do all these things." And he basically gives this commission, like, "Let me let me give you some reminders of what I did well. Yeah, repeat that. The stuff that I messed up, reject that. And I want you to do things that uh, honestly I couldn't do because of my disobedience. I expect you." go further, faster, son. And David dies. Solomon's anointed as king. And what is the first thing that he does? Well, what's so amazing is, is that he kind of has this, this vision, right? Where he basically says, um, uh, you can ask for anything. What would you ask for, for your kingdom? It's kind of like, you know, when, when you're young and someone said, if, if a genie granted you three wishes, what do you do? And you always say, well, of course, one of those wishes has to be for more wishes, right? Well, Solomon doesn't exactly say that, but he kind of does because out of all the things that he could ask for, he says, I am asking you to give me your wisdom to lead your people. And and so what he's saying is this is a huge task. I'm unable to do this on my own. I'm asking you to give me your wisdom to lead your people. It, it can't come from me, and these people aren't mine. They're yours. And God says, because you asked for that, you're going to get it, and you're also going to get all the other stuff you need, wealth and honor and reputation, you name it, power, influence. And he got that. Uh, and, and so what happened was while David established so much of the kingdom, Saul Solomon took it to places of which, uh, honestly, that nation has ever not not known since. Uh, it, it became, in, in some ways, at different times throughout history, where like Egypt would have been that major power player. Under Solomon, there were nations that were coming to little old Israel to learn from him. Uh, he was just known as the, the wisest man who ever walked on the earth. In fact, a lot of the wisdom that we get are contained in scriptures. He, he wrote a lot of the book of Proverbs um, and Ecclesiastes and Song of Solomon. Proverbs is really just a lot of wisdom statements of how we're supposed to live in life. And, and some of the most quoted verses in the entire Bible would be referenced to Solomon in chapter 3 of Proverbs 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding, and in all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Which makes sense when you read Ecclesiastes because he says, hey, here am I trying to do all these things, and I'm realizing this. You can get all the stuff that the world has and still be miserable. It's vanity. It's empty. They're, they're striving after the wind. There's something else in the end of that book. He says there's really only one path in life, and it's this. Fear God and keep his commandments. That's where it's at, and, and that's a good reminder for us as well. Uh, Solomon does something so incredible at this time while he, he really says he's going to build a temple and something that his father wanted to him his father wanted to do David wanted to build a temple but God had said no you're a man of bloodshed bloodshed this is not going to be your assignment but your son will do it and so Solomon builds a temple and when he builds it he does it outright understanding that even he says, you know, like there's this understanding throughout the Bible, uh, building can't contain God, but he tries to do justice to things to be able to let the architecture and the materials reflect the the glory and the grandeur of God and a place where people could come and, and meet with God and hear from God and respond and worship and have their sins atoned for. This was the goal of it. And so there's this brilliant moment of, of just Solomon kind of saying, this is top tier of, of what this needs to be. Be, is to make sure that our people are aligned around God. And so here you go in 1 Kings chapter 8 and, and chapter 9, like there's this establishment of the temple. But what's crazy is literally in two chapters later, chapter 11, things start imploding upon him. Here's this man who builds this temple, builds this place for worship. And then just in a couple chapters later, he can't even focus on that himself or for his family.
So let me tell you where the great division takes place. In 1 Kings chapter 11, King Solomon has just recently built the temple and at the highest place in Israel's history, um, all of a sudden he starts compromising. And this is how he compromises. Uh, he decides that he's also going to build um, idolatrous statutes, uh, you know, shrines and different things to different gods. And you say, which one? Well, one of his wife said that she, you know, worshiped this God because she was from a, a different country. And so he built her that. The only problem was, is that Solomon and all of his excess and pride had 700 wives and 300 concubines. Now, I would just say that just having one relationship, because we are all sinful, frail people, that's challenging enough. A thousand people. And so what happened was in his pride and his hubris, he begins to collect all these different women and whatever they want, he gives them just as a way to show how rich and famous and he can do whatever he wants to. And so now Israel is polluted uh, with, their, with all these different shrines, all these different gods. Here is this glorious temple in the middle of the the city, and yet then all around it are shrines that are built to something, and, and God says, look, this is going to go down south really quick. And so um, the nation just begins to totter on uh, just sinful rebellion, uh, and then after he dies, the, the, literally the next generation of king, the, the nation is split. Israel is no longer just Israel. There's Israel and Judah. There's a, a war, sort of so speak, and now you've got two different sets of nations, which is what makes the rest of First Kings, Second Kings, and when you read First and Second Chronicles, so confusing because it's here's this king over in Israel and here's this king over in Judah, and how do you follow up with it? And all along, you'll find certain kings that do seem to follow the Lord and try to get the nation back on track, but the overall trend is these people continue to steer. Uh, further away from the Lord. And and so what happens is that God sends prophets to warn them out in the streets, out of the marketplace, even in uh, the palace and the temple, whatnot. Um, guys, that there's a lot of them out there, but one of the most famous ones was a guy by the name of Elijah who said, you know, enough's enough. There's even people employed by the temple that are worshiping other gods. And he just goes into this like, I'll take you on and, and let's decide whose God is the, the true God. And and so like in 1 Kings chapter 18, he has this incredible um, powerful encounter where he shows that the one true God is Yahweh and all these other gods are unable to do anything and sees his power and, and sees God's judgment on this nation. But yet even in 1 Kings 19, the political establishment has him on the run and he's so low, he's suicidal. So this is just showing once again, like you want to kind of ride like Elijah's popularity for a while and go, look how great he is. He's powerful. And, and yet you go, but yet he's frail. Like he's not, he's not perfect. He'll never be Jesus, right? Even in all this great stuff. There, there's prophets like Jeremiah who's warning of coming judgment. It's kind of like, hey, if you continue in this, this is what's going to happen to us. And eventually you read uh, in Amos 5 of, of how that fall would take place. And in 2 Kings chapter 17 and reference in Hosea chapter 6, it, it mentions about what the fall of the Israel takes place and how God allowed a pagan nation, someone worse than them, to take them out. And the problem for so many of them were, there's no way God would allow this for another nation to come in because, hey, we're not as bad as them. But here's the issue. Israel knew God and they knew better. And yet, it just started at the very beginning when they wanted a king like the nations. They also wanted to worship like the other nations and act like the other nations and behave like other nations. And their belief and their behavior got completely convoluted in this. And so there's this great fall that takes place. 
And so while it seems like the storyline is over, what you have to realize is that God has promised that there would be a remnant provided. And he establishes that remnant so they can get ready for the coming king who's going to change everything. Hope to see you on the second mile.